I mean, it's extremely gratifying to have a couple that has been struggling finally get pregnant, get that positive pregnancy test and know that they're going to meet their child one day. Reducing sugar and, you know, your certain oils, like that that's one big piece of like developing a healthy microbiome. I'm passionate about people understanding, you know, what needs to be done preconception to have a healthy, a healthy human um, created. And so that's why I'd love to figure out a way, even within Crowd Health, how we can help women do some of this preconception yeah. work. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sovereign Health Podcast. My name is Andy Schoonover, and we're on a mission to inspire radical personal responsibility for both the financial and physical aspects of your health. We get the joy of hosting thought leaders who are reimagining how healthcare is delivered. We're excited to have Dr. Ari Calhoun on the podcast today. Dr. Calhoun is a perinatal and pediatric naturopathic doctor and a certified functional medicine practitioner. She's most excited about pediatrics, preconception, and everything to do with the brain of our little ones growing up. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have Dr. Ari Calhoun on the podcast today. I'm, I'm especially um, excited about this for a couple of reasons. One is, and, and Dr. Calhoun and I, um, we're just talking about this. We have got personal experience with um, uh, kind of perinatal issues. Um, and, but also, you know, the, the company that I run, Crowd Health, we have lots and lots of pregnancies, <laughs> which is fun. Um, and lots of lots of pregnancies at home, which I know you've had a couple natural births, yeah. one being at home, correct? Yep. I had my first one in a birth center, almost at home because my okay. husband believed me we were ready. And yeah. then my second one was at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so fun. You know, um, I, I tell this story often, I think through the podcast, but the last number that I saw is 1.6% of births in the United States are at home at crowd health. It's about 40. Oh, wow. Really so it's cool. An incredible. We have an incredible group of people who are very, very interested in, you know, um, just the details around birth and, you know, and I'm really interested in what should people think about before getting pregnant, right? Yeah. Like do, what do women need to do to get their bodies ready to be pregnant? And that's one of the things I'd, I'd love to, to focus in on today. Yeah, absolutely. I love this conversation. And so I, my background was infertility and I helped couples get pregnant and I have my own kind of infertility struggles and that was really exciting. And there's nothing like, I mean, it's extremely gratifying to have a couple that has been struggling, finally get pregnant, get that positive pregnancy test and know that they're going to meet their child one day. And at that same time, kind of, I transitioned at some point. I know this seems like, how did you go from this to this? But I transitioned to uh, pediatrics, but primarily in the realm of neurodevelopment. So with autism and other types of neurodevelopment disorders, and kind of in the midst of that transition, I realized that these two worlds are really intimately connected, yet the medical society doesn't see them that way. And it's not enough to kind of stop um, with my fertility clients and getting them pregnant. Really what we need to be focusing on is how can we kind of take that to the next step and support the health of the future generation? Because so much of neurodevelopment and that those kind of foundational steps to our offspring's health is laid down in utero. Mm. And, you know, to take that a step back, there's definitely some work that can still be done in pregnancy. And, you know, it does take working with a provider that feels comfortable because if you were to go online, everything is like, 
not enough research in pregnancy, not enough research in pregnancy, but we yeah. can actually take more than um, I think, you know, your Western world is going to tell you. Um, but there are certain things that we can't do in pregnancy and that in order to set that foundation up, we it needs to be done prior to pregnancy. So the areas that I really focus on with my own patients are one, gut health. Um, we know that the microbiome, a huge part of that is passed on through our vaginal delivery, and that kind of lays those keystone species down for baby. But also our gut is, you know, at this intersection with our immune system, which is like another really big piece that I focus on with moms. So what's going on with our immune system regulation? Do we have autoimmunity? We know that that is a risk factor and we want to do as much as possible to get that autoimmunity in a state of remission, um, in a state that's you know quiet going into pregnancy. Um, asthma and atopic conditions like eczema we work on as well. So the gut, the immune system, nutrition, and I work, um, was one of the founding formulators for Needed, which is one of the leading perinatal nutrition companies. And that is such a huge passion of mine because it's not only about the fact that we are building another human and we need adequate nutrition to be able to do that properly, but these nutrients also are there to combat the inevitable toxin exposures that we're going to encounter or the immune disturbances. So they're protective as well. Um, environmentally toxins. I mean, I try not to like uh, cause too much stress in this area because the truth is we just do live in a toxic world and we can't avoid every exposure. It's going to happen. But like, where can we put our safeguards up? Where can we support our bodies? Where can we just acknowledge that? Like, these are simple things that we can do to minimize and, and kind of um, reduce our exposures to some of the things that we know that impact fetal development. And, you know, those are kind of the, the big ones. So nutrition, immune health, gut health, and, and nutrition. And then there's some other things that are just like uh, relevant to that person, you know, around and their pregnancy experience um, or previous pregnancies or family history that we work on a little bit more in depth, whether it be mental health or history of blood sugar sure. regularity issues and such. So say that first kind of group that you talked about, they're somewhat or, or maybe very much interrelated where it's nutrition, microbiome, toxins, yeah. all of those things. Yeah. What, what is your recommendation for for women who are trying to get pregnant in, in kind of those, those key areas. So maybe like, what should we be eating? Yeah. Uh, you know, how do we avoid toxins in this toxic world? And how do we yeah. think about our microbiome? There may have been a fourth there that I missed, but like, yeah. what, what is your advice to, to, to women who are trying to get pregnant? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, some people need deeper work. So I always mm -hmm. like do an intake and try to find, you know, within these categories, do we see that there are some imbalances already occurring. So within the gut realm, you know, are we dealing with IBS? Are we dealing with, you know, SIBO? Are we having recurrent vaginal yeast or bacterial vaginosis infections? Like there are some signs that there's clearly a dysbiosis. We have digestive symptoms. And then those individuals might need deeper work. Like they, they may um, benefit from antimicrobials or antifungals or antiparasitics. And things that kind of help to be a little bit more aggressive at normalizing this ecology, because those are things we can't do in pregnancy, or we really don't want to. I mean, we can't use some of these harsher um, antimicrobials or antifungals with some level of risk. So we want to be able to do that and, and identify those problem areas and address them prior to going into pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But I think all of us, I mean, no one has a perfect gut. <laughs> we all have different, you know, imbalances here and there. And we, it's a constant work in progress. Like, 
you know, I think a lot of patients will come, they're like, okay, well, if I do this, am I done? And it's like, no, you're never, you're never done because we're going to encounter right. things in our environment that's going to slightly shift our micro microbiome a bit. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how can I kind of set up those safeguards and support this constantly evolving ecology? But, you know, we want to push it towards these, these beneficial species. And really like the crux of it is diversity in our diet. How can I incorporate as much diversity in these plant-based fibers as possible? So fruits, vegetables, whole grains, uh, legumes, nuts and seeds. Like these are the foods that are going to have positive impacts on growing a number of different species. And we want diversity. We want a healthy um, you know, number of different types of species within there. And we achieve that through feeding them a bunch of different things. And we could like narrow that down. We could talk about certain compounds, like these compounds called polyphenols have become really popularized recently. Polyphenols mm -hmm. are found in our deeply pigmented purple, blue, red hues. So pomegranates, blueberries, blackberries, olives, olive oil, um, black grain, rice, um, red quinoa, those are rich in polyphenols. And what's cool about polyphenols is that they act as prebiotics for the good bugs, while at the same time acting as antibiotics for some of the bad bugs. And so those are things that like you can do wherever you are in this journey, if you're three months pregnant or you're, you know, you're trying to conceive in the next year, you know, this diversity in our diet, these polyphenols are shown to be supportive for a healthy microbiome. Okay. And then at the same time, you know, reducing um, sugar, which is like great time to talk about that. Um, yeah. Reducing sugar and, you know, your certain oils, like there are that that's one big piece of like developing a healthy microbiome. Where do you, now, where do you fall out on the seed oil uh, controversy? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's there. They shouldn't be like a huge part of our diet. I hate to villainize any food. Like I really um, feel as though I also come from like a background with eating disorder and restrictive eating and mm -hmm. orthorexia. And so I like to believe that like, again, all can be good in moderation. Um, I, but yes, like definitely not a preferred food. I think that there is a balance here. Like omega sixes are necessary. So we can't, you know, villainize these like fatty acids altogether, but yeah. there are, there are better fats. There are better fuels to use. Okay. I, I love that. So it, it sounds like there's some work to, if you want to have a healthy pregnancy, it is a, probably a good idea to do some work up front right? With someone like you, um, does a woman go to just kind of any, any OBGYN or what does a woman look for in a yeah. doctor to help her walk through this prior to getting pregnant? Because this, this seems like a, a, a different way of looking at kind of a, a proactive approach, yeah. proactive preventative approach to, you know, some of these neurological conditions that you've been been talking about yeah so i think <clears throat> there's there's one part of this in that you know western medicine in general is not super proactive so right. we're not gonna get what we there's need there's no money in proactive yeah we <laughs> are um so but really like you don't have to necessarily seek out a specialist in preconception support to be working on things to help fortify a body that's going to be a good environment for a baby mm -hmm. to grow. I think anything that's going to benefit your health is then going to benefit the child's health. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, there are definitely providers like myself that are a lot more specific about certain like objectives or metrics that we're looking at that we know like this nutrient needs to be to this, or we don't want, you know, X, Y, or Z that, you know, there's a little bit more that goes, there could be a little bit more that goes into this. But um, for most women, it's just kind of taking a look at yourself and understanding like, what are, what am I experiencing? What are the symptoms that I'm experiencing? And is there a way that I can shift my diet, my lifestyle that would be more supportive of a healthier me? And that's going to be, you know, yield a healthier pregnancy and healthier offspring. So I'm a naturopathic doctor. Obviously, I love all my naturopathic doctor colleagues. And I think that any, you know, naturopathic doctor is going to be looking at an individual uh, and addressing these foundations. But there's a number of functional medicine providers out there and functional nutritionists that have great knowledge and, you know, also great abilities to support women in this preconception time period. I love that. And, and, um, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on is operating outside of kind of traditional, the traditional medical experience. And one of those is operating outside of traditional health insurance. And so the question for a lot of people who, who watch this is does health insurance pay for something like this? (laughs) Um, and if not, what is something like this cost somebody on average for this preconception work that has to be done or should be done? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different. I'm putting for you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I know the numbers? Um, so, no, you know, the medical system does not pay for these services necessarily. And a lot of the testing is not covered. There are certain things for sure that I do. And if I can get them run through insurance, I do run them through insurance, but it's not you know, it's always with the caveat in that I see this as medically necessary and relevant, but your insurance company may not. So yeah. we're going to like, do you want to go out on a whim and give it a try and risk a potential like huge invoice? Or do you want to do this cash pay? So yeah. the vast majority of what I do is cash pay. And, um, you know, the, the cost is, it's not as predictable as like, you know, this perinatal care by a midwife, right? So like midwifery, we can say we're going to cost between like, it's going up now, but it used to be around like $5,000 a pregnancy or something like that. And that's obviously like substantially, I don't know why insurance companies don't cover midwifery because they'd save a lot of money, right? (laughs) Versus like going to the hospital, but um, they don't. And, um, but with the care that I do, it is so variable. So some of the moms that I see, it's just like, they just want an overview and it's just one time cost. Other moms, we have to do a lot of deep work. So it could be thousands of dollars because we're doing lots of, you know, mm-hmm. rep- visits and, and testing and et cetera. So that one's harder for me to kind of like quantify. It's just so variable with the individual, but the, the, you know, end of this is that no insurance does not typical insurance does not cover any of this. And so it's cost prohibitive for many families, which is mm-hmm. a, you know, I think trying to strategize and figure out how we can work around this because I believe in it so much. Um, and I want more families to have access to it. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, 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 that's right. And as I mentioned, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of passionate about this preconception thing because as people who listen to the podcast know that my wife and I had a daughter with anencephaly and found out that my wife had MTHFR I don't know exactly what the thing variation yeah. such that she can't metabolize folate correctly. And the lack of folate does lead to neural tube defects and which it was anencephaly is. Yep. And so I'm, I'm 
I'm passionate about people understanding, you know, what needs to be done preconception to have a healthy, a healthy human, um, created. And so that's why I'd love to figure out a way, even within crowd health, how we can help women do some of this preconception work. Um, and so, you know, maybe that's a, a, a further conversation. That's maybe it's another the, conversation. Yeah, the, no, the I two of that. us. <laughs> um, so what on the, are there anything on the supplement side? You said you kind of mentioned a, a supplement yeah, before. So, uh, I that, mean, yeah, nutritionally, right? Yeah. And so this is also going to potentially vary depending on genetics and like what mm-hmm. we might need more of. And I think that that's why it's helpful to have just an overview of like where are areas of vulnerability. That's mm-hmm. kind of where it's like, where okay. is our... Where Very are personalized then. Pillars. A yeah. little bit, but not necessarily. So okay. there's definitely, I mean, so I help formulate um, Needed. They're a one of the leading perinatal nutrition companies out there, and I help formulate their prenatal. And so what is often going on with prenatals, and you know, if you go to a standard OBGYN, they'll say it does not matter what you take as long as it contains folic acid. And that is just so far from the truth. And obviously in your situation, like, you know, just that simple recommendation for folic acid is not enough. Um, you know, when you can't metabolize and create yeah. methylfolate. And so what we aim to do is not take what's need, like just like what's the minimal necessary, but how do we kind of comprehensively support a mom? Given the fact that many moms these days are on restricted diets, many moms these days don't have the best gut microbiomes and might not be absorbing their nutrients. Many moms are dealing with nausea and vomiting and not able to eat the diet that they were prior to pregnancy. And how do we ensure that even if they're not eating the best diet for them, like they just can't for various reasons, they're supported. We're covering those nutrient bases and more. We're not just covering what's necessary for baby to grow and develop and come out with four limbs, but how do we grow and support their brain development? And, you know, beyond that, how do we support mom and her mental health and her body? And so there are needed is not the only company out there. There's a couple of really great perinatal nutrition companies that are doing this comprehensive nutritional support. And I think that this is important, not just within pregnancy, but we know things like choline and folate are incredibly important in the three months leading up to pregnancy, Mm -hmm. because you need adequate amounts of these nutrients in the very beginning of the weeks to prevent neural tube defects. So this is, this is really important to begin. I always recommend if we know we're kind of trying to conceive that that prenatal has begun at least three months prior to conception. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the work that I did, especially after we lost grace was is these neural tube defects, I think this is day 23 or 20 to 23 to 25. So this is like three weeks after conception early, you know, oftentimes before you even know it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and so it's, it's like, do, do some of these things before you get, you get pregnant because they will, they will have benefits. Um, I love that needed. What, what is the website for that? You know what? I want to say it's just needed.com, but I should okay. look and we'll, put it we'll in put, the show notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it in the show yeah. notes um, because that sounds, that sounds Maybe awesome. This is needed. This is needed.com, I think. This so. is needed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, a good prenatal is needed. So this is needed. Yeah. Um, there you go. Okay. So uh, conception happens. What are, the, what are the things that you're thinking about as a doctor, as a woman is, um, you know, pregnant, building this incredible human being in her, like, what are the things that you're really focused on for her to to make sure that, you know, 
baby comes out and brain is functioning well, um, what are the primary kind of variables that you look through? So I'm happy you asked that. And I think that there's a couple that are maybe obvious and then some that are definitely not obvious and not talked about. Um, I think um, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is that thyroid um, is really important in those first 16 weeks of gestation. And so prior to mom getting pregnant, we want to make sure that her thyroid is in range. And just for like an example, your primary might say your thyroid is in range if it's anywhere between your TSH is anywhere between 0.5 and 5. They might say like, oh, that's normal. But in pregnancy, we know that TSH needs to be below 2.5. So the range shrinks by like half. And we need to check that. And a lot of OBGYNs are just not checking that. And we know that low thyroid, especially in early gestation, can lead to neurodevelopment concerns and other, you know, more major concerns with the offspring. So thyroid is one of the first things that I'm kind of fine tuning. And if a mom is already struggling with hypothyroidism and she's on thyroid medication, then her thyroid medication does typically need to jump up by 20 to 50%. So that's something we're really closely monitoring. Um, and then, you know, ensuring that mom's on a good prenatal right from the start. And if I only had two things, that would be it. It's like thyroid and, um, and, and a good prenatal. And I always kind of like, we're minimal in that first trimester because so many moms are just like struggling to take anything. Um, but then that second trimester opens up and we have a lot more. So as we kind of go into the second trimester, this is the time of blood volume expansion. So we are doubling in our blood volume. And this is when moms start to struggle with anemia. And a lot of moms will need to start taking an iron supplement. We know that iron is so important for brain development. And mom's iron really kind of sets that stage for baby's iron. And um, especially when we're doing delayed cord clamping, which we can talk about and other things of that nature. So we need to ensure that we're kind of looking at iron, monitoring iron. We also, during this phase, will do things like the gestational uh, diabetes screen. And there's things that I'll talk to moms about that, the pros and the cons of like doing the glucola drink and other things of that Mm. nature. But either way, we want to make sure that mom has good, good blood sugar management. And I really think this comes down to adequate protein. So we talked a little bit about like plant-based fibers, and that really helps to support the diversity of the microbiome, which has been shown to have impacts on mom's microbiome, baby's microbiome, reducing reduces you know risk of asthma and allergies in the baby, other things. Mm-hmm. But we also need a lot of protein. And most moms are not taking in enough protein. We are building a baby. This is going to prevent from like that swelling that moms experience. This is going to help stabilize blood sugar. And so Um, protein is something that we really try to increase in that second trimester as we're gaining a little bit of the appetite back. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I will talk about, and this is a conversation I have like throughout pregnancy and throughout um, that preconception time period is what is going on with mom's immune system. So as a provider who specializes in autism, what is not well known, and I hope that this is going to change over the next couple of years, is that the greatest risk for autism is if mom experiences some form of immune activation. So her immune system becomes inflamed. This could be autoimmunity, this could be asthma, this could be allergies, this could be an illness, the flu, COVID, something of that nature, and a more significant illness. This could be an infection, um, a gastrointestinal infection or a vaginal infection. And what happens, there's like two main kind of ways that this impacts baby. There's others than this, but these are the two main ones. Mom develops an elevation of these inflammatory molecules called cytokines. These cytokines are transferred through the placenta 
into baby and they will then activate these cells within the baby's brain called the microglia. And these cells are very responsible for kind of setting up that early architecture of our children's brains. And if they are inflamed, if they are activated, they do not do their job as well. They do not help with kind of tearing down old pathways that we need to get rid of and building up new pathways. Mm. And so this idea of microglial activation is something that I'm very passionate about and doing certain nutrients to support moms. You know, we can't go through pregnancy um, always without getting sick or something happening. And so what can we do in the event that we are going to experience an illness or something of that nature? And um, no, Tylenol is not the answer. And so that's the other you know, part of this is that we now have a huge class action lawsuit going on around Tylenol use in pregnancy mm-hmm. and the risk of autism and ADHD and reproductive concerns. So what are the other things we can do to kind of safeguard baby's brain in, in the midst of immune activation? The other thing that we know to be true is that there are some moms harbor these things called anti-brain antibodies. And this is kind of newer research, but we believe that moms can then pass on, well, we know moms can then pass on these antibodies, just like she passes on every other one of her antibodies. Mm -hmm. And these can then attack baby's brain. And so this one has always been hard for me because up until now, we really have only been able to test for this in research. In 2024, we're going to be able to use that clinically, which I'm really excited about. And the hope is that not that we would test moms in pregnancy, but we would be able to use this in the preconception time period to then identify which moms are susceptible to having these anti-brain antibodies and what can we do to lower them or get rid of them so that we don't have to worry about that in pregnancy. But the immune system is huge and it's something that's no one talks about. (laughs) Um, And so... How do, and there's lots of things that we can do to kind of choline is one that's shown to minimize the impact of illness um, and sulforaphane, melatonin, zinc, quercetin. We, I mean, there's so many nutrients that could be used to kind of minimize that impact on baby's brain. Mm. And so are we seeing a spike in some of these um, conditions like brain? Oh, yeah. Uh, what, what is the ultimate kind of reason for these? I know this is hotly debated, you know, but do you, do you feel like it is an autoimmune response that is the primary driver of some of these? I, I, I feel it's like the primary, so the one big truth about autism is that it is not one conditioning. Okay. And so we have probably like we could lay out 50 different causes or contributing factors. And it's always multifactorial. There's never, I mean, there, there can be one single gene mutation that leads to a condition that is associated with autism like symptoms, but that accounts for a very small um, portion of children with autism. So the majority of these are multifactorial is there's a combination of genetic susceptibility and environmental triggers. And I, I guess, I believe that the immune system and these um, kind of alterations in immune function is a big foundational piece in the majority of kids. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is that, and I do think that probably the majority of kids, it's the main part. Um, But there's definitely other, you know, 
pieces of the puzzle than just immune activation, just inflammation or autoimmunity. But we know really that's where the majority of the research is. Um, definitely certain nutrient um, you know, deficiencies. And so folate and B12 and carnitine have all been studied separately and shown to have like really big impacts on in brain development, speech development. But the inflammatory aspect of this because we can't get into the brains and measure inflammation, we can only do this like post-mortem. It's really hard for us to mm. be able to kind of quantify this and what treatments are helpful. But really when we look at the literature and we were just to take it down, I mean, I don't know the exact, but I would estimate at least 75% of the research in autism is related to alterations in immune function. In utero or after birth or both? Most of the research is actually in utero just because we, like they talk about maternal immune activation and not aggravating children. But we know that like even with regression, so kids that are typically developing and then regress, um, lose language, lose the eye contact, et cetera, it's oftentimes preceded by a high fever. So again, that's just another sign. When we have a fever, the fever is not the cause. The fever is an indication that there's high inflammation. Right. right. So um, interesting. Mm -hmm. So what, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you hear about all these things and I don't know if they're old wives tales. I don't know if that's, you know, acceptable to say anymore, but um, where, you know, you can do things while the baby is in utero to enhance brain function, like mm -hmm. silly things like sing to them or oh, yeah. put their, you know, put headphones around mom's belly so that baby can hear music. Like, yeah. are there things like that, that you kind of hear through, you know, passed down through generations that are true? And what are some of them that are probably not true? Those are good questions. I mean, I... <laughs> I have not gone into the literature to figure out like, are they able to hear that? I mean, they, we, they do, they are able to hear. We know that they respond to our yeah. voice and to other things. And I think that there's probably truth. I mean, we are, um, you know, one of the biggest things that we see in autism is this lack of social connection. And so anything that we can do throughout pregnancy and early development is further foster that connection, that oxytocin, I think it's going to be helpful. Mm. So um, I, yes, I think like, and, you know, I, I don't know that we have like a whole bank of research to show one way or the other, but I think that those things like, why not do that? Why not talk to your baby and just be connected to them energetically from the time that you conceive? I guess where I'm focused on, I'm very like research, um, come sure. from research and very left brain. So it's like <laughs> physiologically, what can I do to support brain development? Mm -hmm. So that's what I, you know, talk about with certain nutrients, omegas and choline and certain things like I nerd out on that. And I know a lot I about, it. um, I don't oh. know as much about like, Hmm, does there's a couple, actually one thing that I will say, just cause it's another thing that as a first time mom, I got pregnant with my daughter. I did not do proper preconception support. I had been struggling with different fertility issues and I did not think I could get pregnant. And so that was a total shock for me. And we learned a lot of lessons through that. And, um, you know, there were health concerns and I don't have necessarily like guilt about this, but I would wish, you know, I could go back and, and do differently. And I did definitely did things way differently when I conceived my son. And so, um, but one of the things I remember is that I wanted to, have my daughter early. I just like, I was convinced I was going to have her at 37 weeks. I wasn't going to go yeah. to 40. Like 
I wanted to have her early and I didn't have her early, but I was almost like, you know, trying, I'm like, do I kind of push this? Do I, I do I kind of um, find some way to induce this naturally so that I can have her? Cause I was so anxious to meet her. And I've actually had a lot of moms in my practice that we look back on their pregnancy and they were in that similar position. So I know I'm not the only one who was like, I want to have my child early. I want to have them at 38 weeks. You know, I want to get them out. I want to be with them. And what I realized, like after I kind of really started down in this road of neurodevelopment is that those last three weeks are so critical for neurodevelopment. We don't want to have our babies early. We want them to go to 40 weeks. I'm okay if they go to 42 weeks, you know, like the more they're in there, the, the like the brain is really fine tuning at that stage. And it does that best in the womb. And so that's just, you know, another thing where um, I think just, you know, certain things that are very tangible, they don't require a lot of effort. It's just like, don't induce, (laughs) you know, let your baby go full term. Um, Things like delayed cord clamping is very big practice in midwifery, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of not, um, it's ignored in, um, you know, general medicine. And yet we have a lot of research that that supports iron levels throughout early development. It supports neurodevelopment. And so what I, you know, aim for my patients is try to delay that cord clamping by three minutes or more. If you can make it to 90 seconds, great. But if you can go to three minutes and more, that is shown to be helpful from a neurodevelopment standpoint. Is there that the the, um, carrying the term or, you know, full term is an interesting one because I haven't heard that before. What are there? Are there studies that show that there is a correlation between, you know, how long you um, what what the the. Definitely. I mean, more so when we're talking about like um, preterm children, babies, Uh so prior to 37 weeks, big, big risk. And we, there's a number of studies that are looking at, um, you know, premature children and how do we support neurodevelopment? Because we know that they're going to um, be impacted by that. But yes, even, you know, I think you are at term at 38 weeks, but we right. just know scientifically that there, those last weeks, what's going on is that further brain development. And so there's not the same like um, amount of research to show there's a huge difference between like 38 and 40 weeks. Um, but, you know, I, I, I personally believe that we, we don't want to, you know, intervene with this process at all. I think if baby comes at 38 weeks, then don't be anxious about it, but we don't want to manipulate it and, and right. have early if we can let them kind of stay in the optimal environment for longer. It would be interesting if there was a, some kind of study that showed the difference between 38 and 40 or 41. And if there were any significant developmental issues associated with that, because there is so many doctors out there that's like, you know what, we're just going to get this done at 38. Let's induce. And, you know, um, it always did feel a little weird to me that that was the case. I mean, there's, there's research about induction and it's a little controversial, but induction is Pitocin and Pitocin is oxytocin and oxytocin potentially can impact the way the receptors function. And again, we want to have adequate levels of oxytocin and adequate, you know, sensitivity at those receptors, because that's going to foster that social connection. So um, that's not like um, super concrete, but it's one thing that I do ask parents, you know, did you have 
um, you know, common things in labor that we know could impact development are oxytocin, um, fentanyl, <laughs> something for pain relief. And so those things are, you know, if we know better, we avoid, but a lot of moms don't know better. And we trust our doctors that they do. And they're, it's not that they are misinformed necessarily. It's just that they might not have the foresight to think about how this impacts baby in these ways in the future. They're, they're looking at APGAR scores. Is mom, you know, is mom alive? Is baby alive? Are they going to stay in the NICU? And if those, you know, impacts are not, um, or if those kind of factors are not impacted, then there's no risk, you know, right. in their world, in their contained world, in their bubble, we, there's no risk. Yeah. So what if, if you could like change one thing, just snap your fingers, change one thing to yeah. reduce some of these kind of neurodevelopmental issues, what would it be? No Tylenol in pregnancy. No Tylenol in pregnancy is the one thing that you do. Interesting. And <laughs> so mean, tell, I, tell, you mentioned Tylenol yeah. before and kind of passing, but tell, yeah. tell, tell us more. I mean, that's the one where we're, there's, again, there's a huge class action lawsuit going on okay. right now for Tylenol use in pregnancy. They want to put a black box, warn, black box warning on it to say that this can cause um, reproductive neurodevelopment harm, because we know now that it can be associated with very various reproductive abnormalities in the kids, but also autism and ADHD. And I think it's simple. It's simple stuff, right? So there are other things that I, I'd like to do, um, but it's going to take a lot of like buy-in and, and, you know, policy change and um, information and not everyone's going to be comfortable with, you know, but this one, it's like, we have enough information to know that, to know better. Yeah. Okay. One more question on that then is if you could do one study, um, you know, don't, you don't have to worry about the cost of this study, but you want to do mm -hmm. one study. You're, you're, you said you're a study nerd. Um, mm -hmm. what would it be? Like, what would you want to test? Well, oftentimes what, what, you know, what we found in talking to some of our past guests is some of these studies are funded by organizations that have a, an interest in yeah. how the study, you know, the outcome of the study, <laughs> the conclusion of the study. And so, you know, there's not enough studies out there where there is, you know, kind of non-interested parties, if that makes sense, yeah. who, are, who are funding these things. And so I'm just curious, you know, what would the study be that you would you would fund yeah. if you could fund any study. So, okay. So this is what I would say, and it's a little bit big, but we know, again, going back to what is the, the most well-known risk factor in pregnancy is this thing called maternal immune activation. And most of the studies are around illness. Okay. So like getting some form of illness that's associated with a fever. So I do want to just so we don't have a bunch of anxious moms know that if you get a cold or like a minor illness where you have the sniffles and you're at home, mm -hmm. like that's not a risk. We're talking about a big inflammatory response. The more significant the illness, if you're hospitalized, if you have a fever for, you know, seven days, those are, we see that as a more inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a greater risk associated with that. Um, but again, maternal immune activation, we could talk about this in other ways, autoimmunity, we could talk about it as stress and trauma. We found that anything that elevates those cytokines could then have an impact on baby. And boys are way more susceptible to this. So for whatever reason, boy brains have a greater sensitivity. So, um, you know, that kind of changes the, the risk profile a little bit as well. But my, my belief, again, this is kind of done through a various different 
studies that have kind of looked into this, but not in like a enough, there's not enough of a, um, we haven't gone far enough, but we know there's certain nutraceuticals that could be really helpful. So I mentioned choline. Mm -hmm. used and seen that like maternal choline levels um, are associated with like improved um, neurodevelopment outcomes and that if mom were to encounter something like even marijuana or alcohol, it decreased mm -hmm. risk around that. So um, sulforaphane is another one of my favorite ones. But I, I would like more studies around, um, you know, a kind of a combination of these nutraceuticals and seeing if we're able to offset that impact in baby. And, you know, mm -hmm. just because we, I, I've pieced this together for my patients through like reading a lot of literature and what I believe to be impactful. Um, but we don't really have the data to say like this sure. combination ameliorates these effects. So that's like probably one of my primary interests right now. And then the secondary thing is now once we're able to test these autoantibodies, um, which for these moms, this, the, these autoantibodies that they pass on to babies are believed to cause the most severe forms of autism associated with intellectual disability. And they will never use this test in pregnancy, which I personally value. Um, they will only use it in the preconception time period or in that post, you know, with a child who is struggling and in their mom. But what can we do? Because I believe, again, some, some, many of the things that we kind of employ for autoimmune conditions should also work for this. Mm -hmm. And many of the things that we employ to kind of reduce the um, inflammatory cytokines should also work for this. But I would like to kind of test this and, and see if, you know, a certain strategy that I have in mind um, is capable of reducing yeah. bodies. I love that. So are you, you're in California? Yeah. Or do you only see others in California or do you, is there no, we state licensing stuff that? Yeah, sort of. I see everyone in California from a medical standpoint, and okay. then I'll do consulting with patients who are in states that are not under a, um, a compact licensing. or whatever. They're not licensed yeah. by naturopathic doctors. Yeah. And we'll do consulting. There's limitations and what we're able to do, but okay. we'll. Um, there's still a lot we can do in the preconception time period and perinatal time period. Um, yeah. And where do we find you? Um, you can find me. My handle on Instagram is dr.arycalhoun. That's A-R-I-C-A-L-H-O-U-N. Mm -hmm. And then my website is wholesomebrainmedicine.com. Awesome. Uh, and one of the things that we like are huge like advocates of is creating price transparency in uh -huh. healthcare, given yeah. that most people go to their doctor and have no clue what it's going to cost. And so um, the question for you is, are prices for what your services online or do we have to call for those or how does that work? They're online. I awesome. value that too. Yes. <laughs> we love yeah. it. Thumbs up. Yeah. Dr. Ari Calhoun. This is so good. Thank you for informing us no tylenol people no tylenol, tylenol. thank yeah. you uh and and happy holidays to you you too thank you for having me bye, -bye.